So one of the first things to know is that that was a gridless combat. We had no miniatures, no grid. There were a couple times where I would use die to kind of show a position. I know in particular there was a part where three of the thugs ran into the shop where Omi had took up position, and they sort of did like a crescent shape in front of him and had him blocked on three sides. And rather than explain it the way I just did, because I was struggling last night, I put a die for his character and three die for the thugs. You could have just said it was the Bruce Lee scene, where Bruce Lee's backed in the corner, there's people all like all it's around like him. like semi-circle around him. But I was struggling to make that clear, and that's something I've said again. I haven't ran a Theater of the Mind game very often for a long time, so I, I have a lot of work to do to get good at it as well. So there were a couple points where I'm trying to use die or I would point to things, and there was even one moment where you drew a very quick sketch just to make sure that you knew relationship as to where Omi was to where you were. But outside of that, it was all just in our head, theater of the mind. So how did you think as a player it went? Awesome. Incredible. Awesome. Best. Great. Why? It, it was the best. I mean, I've played, I don't know how maybe, I don't know how many sessions total I've played with you in different games with different, with a couple different groups. 30, 40 probably at this point. Okay. It, it was the best encounter out of any session, out of any encounter that, like, even, like, one of the, the a boss fight or the ending of a session or the last battle or somebody dying, it was better than any of those. It was just better. And it was, it was just because uh, of, like I was saying earlier, where everything is is really, really vivid. It's like, I mean, it's kind of like, it's a lot different to be standing on a street corner, street corner and witness a car crash as opposed to having somebody run home and tell you about the car crash they just witnessed. Okay. The person who's standing there and visualizes it, you have to imagine what it's like in their head. They're, they first it's, – it's a movie film reel that's playing over in their head as they're retelling the story. First – they saw this guy crossing the street. Then they heard tires squeal. Then they saw this. Then they they smelled smoke. Then they became nervous and worried, as opposed to somebody you know account through account through. That's kind of like what the difference is to me. Like thinking back about that encounter, I have the perfect everything. F- <laughs> that was a long <laughs> everything. <laughs> Everything flowed. I never came out of what my character was doing in the moment, um, as opposed to having the feeling like I have a turn. Now I wait for a turn. Now I wait for a turn. Now I wait for a turn. Now I have another turn. Now I'm back in it. I was. I never felt like that because everyone was so descriptive. Everyone was painting their own picture. Everyone was so involved that even though my character wasn't necessarily doing something, I was still listening to a story being told as each turn went on. Okay. Um, so that is the ability to – that's what makes it fun for me. The, the ability to have this more re, – as a realistic as a fantasy role-playing game can be um, – that's what makes these encounters so much more fun. Okay. If that, does that explain yeah, that I come it, off it does, well? It does make sense. I, what I find interesting is that 
while the battle was going on as a DM, I didn't think it was that great. And possibly because I was focusing on maybe myself more than you and the things that I was doing that I could have done better. So when the battle was over, we kind of took a quick second and you guys were all like, Oh, that was awesome. And I'm like, I was like, Oh really? I mean, I was, I was so happy because to me, I didn't think it was super great. I thought it was okay. Okay. Here's a, here's a, a point about it. In the other encounters w- with the other game we're playing in 3.5 when we're using the tabletop, I'm looking at the DM and I'm looking at you for all the description, all the details. Um, when I do something, because I kind of feel like I roll the dice, I tell you what I'm going to do. Then I look, I look at you to tell me what happened. In our encounter, I felt like so much more was in my hands to create the story. So you as a DM might've felt like you were having, you weren't contributing enough or adding enough and everything, but I felt like more of the storytelling could, was in my head and in my okay. hands. Does that make sense? It does. And I, and I kind of thinking about it, I do think that's why I didn't think it was a super great thing. And you guys all seem to really enjoy it is because I won't claim it was on purpose. It clearly wasn't, but you know, again, I've said a thousand times, I want to be a writer. I work on stories and I've read books about writing. My favorites on writing by Stephen King. And he talks about most good writers don't over explain things. They don't over describe it. They leave it it up to the reader to paint their own picture. So as a DM, my failings at describing things become in some ways okay, or they're negated by the fact that you are filling in those details that I'm leaving out. But see, I think that it works in theater of the mind where it fails in the tabletop gaming. I think because you're not invested as much, you are looking to me to provide them. And when I don't, it takes away from the story rather than you filling in your own. In the tabletop uh, combat, I feel like I have a limited um, ability of things when i'm think like, like i was explaining before when i'm thinking about what i'm going to do when the turn's coming around to me i'm 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 i have like two or three slots in my head uh, a move slot a standard action slot and a minor action slot maybe and i'm in my head i'm filling those slots what am i going to do and i'm looking at my character sheet i'm not invested in what's going on i'm not listening to the story i'm thinking about what i'm going to fill those three slots with and i'm looking at my stats i'm looking at my spells i'm looking at you know i'm 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 focused in my character sheet um with the theater of the mind i'm not focused in the character sheet i'm focused in the story that everybody's telling and i don't feel i don't feel constricted i feel free Free. (laughs) i feel open i feel open like i have so i mean it's it's an it's kind of like it's an illusion. It may be an illusion, but it makes you feel like you have more options because uh, where like three point five and fourth edition, it's it's your own mind that's putting you inside the box. You shouldn't. It's but the boxes are there in front of you. It's hard not to get trapped in the box. Right, and and a better DM might be able to keep that from happening, but. I'm not there, and so our 3.5 and 4th edition games are very move six squares, attack, you know, try to get flanking, 
and I do try to describe things as best I can, but especially as the game goes on and if I'm getting bored or if we're running late on time, I start to speed up trying to get through to things and I do a worse and worse job where in, in this edition, it, I, I felt comfortable. I, I, we were deciding whether or not we were going to play that clip earlier. And so we went back and listened to it and listening back to it. I'm kind of like, it seems like it's taking a long time to start the battle. So from the time that I said you were walking towards the market and the three other guys came out to the time we rolled initiative, I think it was like 15 minutes of us all talking and you guys are telling me what your characters were doing and you all really seem to enjoy that. And I can just say, and this is a Michael thing. I'm not saying it's the system, but I guarantee if we had done that in a 3.5 game, our initiative would have been like two minutes after that first scene. Cause I just think I would have drawn the map. I don't make sure that, you know, you guys would kind of already knew that it was going to be a fight because I drew the map and you would put your characters in there and it would have been like, okay, you see the guys come back roll initiative. Like I just guaranteed that's how that would have happened. But because we did it without the grid, I think everybody felt like they had more ownership and they were describing things and they were creating that image, which allowed for 15 more minutes of role playing before we even got into the battle. And I think that was something that, again, as a, as a DM, since we're still playing 3.5, I just need to be more aware of and try to allow you guys that freedom and not rush into the battle. That 15 minutes uh, to me was like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Like, um, you know, like, have you seen Inglorious Bastards? Of course. Okay. Like when, uh, I don't remember the character names and it's been a long time since I've seen it, but when um, the German who hunts Jews, when he, or he searches for Jews, when he's sitting at the table with the other in the bar or in the tavern or whatever it is. Okay. And then the, there's this really long conversation. Um, and he finally, at the end of the conversation, points out that he already knows that one of them or all of them is a Jew because of the way he ordered the drink, like 15 minutes ago, right. like at the beginning. And then at the end of that 15 minutes where he's sitting at the table talking to him, asking him questions, you're sitting there watching it. The tension's building. You don't know what's going to happen. The tension's building. The tension's building. And then it blows up into a Fine. shootout where everybody ends up dead in the bar. But that, all of that is part of the scene. You, mm. can't, ha you can't have the shootout and the everything wouldn't have made so much difference if you didn't have right. the 15 minutes of conversation and build up and tension beforehand it was the way because when he when he held up his finger for three drinks he did it the american way right not including the thumb which is like the european way so again in the 3.5 i would translate to as soon as he did that and he's like oh those are americans it would have been initiative and then there would have been this break where the tension would have was fallen back down to zero uh while everybody went to their character sheets they started picturing the slots. They started filling the slots of move and standard action in their head. What am I going to do on my turn? Um, you would have started drawing a map. And all of this tension of the scene building would have fallen away. Whereas in our game, we've had that scene of them sitting around the table. Our scene was I was in the shop with the shop owner questioning him on why he didn't have our payment. He was really nervous. My sidekick, the giant behind me, was breaking things in his shop. Outside, Rob was seeing a group of people surrounding our shop. Rob was, like, 
getting flustered at the table, like out of game. Like Rob was getting flustered <laughs> at the table because he was like, I don't know what to do. I got to. But it was perfect. You could see the tension of the situation building. Unlike, I mean, has it ever felt like that in any of the games, like in your basement? If I thought about long enough, I could probably come up with a couple, but off the top of my head, no. Okay, and when that, when the tension built and built and built until the point where Rob fired an arrow, I looked at the arrow, I snapped my head back, I looked at Rob, Rob gave me a signal, Gre- uh, Grexel ran out, smashed out the front, there was no, we went directly into combat and the tension kept escalating from there. There was no break, there was no stop and draw the tape it was it was such a smooth transition and that enabled the film reel in my head to, to keep, just keep, keep continuing going. and keep going and the picture the, the story just got better the film just got more vivid it was it was awesome okay and again as a dm that i mean just so happy you know like that that i created a story that you guys enjoyed but as, also as Michael, the OCD, ADD, HD guy, I still focus on the things that I could have done better. And, and two things that I critiqued myself on is I knew that how powerful Grexel was. I, I specifically made him to be a killing machine. So that's why I had decided there would be 20 thugs. And that was a large number, but just about all humans in this world are minions. Basically, one hit kills them. So they're, you know that having that many really isn't a big deal. But that very first round that they attacked him, I did a lot of damage. I rolled five attacks, and I think four of them hit, and then I rolled damage. So round one, I took Grexel, I think, to half or below. Yeah, you did. Actually, thinking back, that's when Nico did this because— You went out the back. Well, I ran around the front, and when I I asked you, I said, I look at Grexel, what's he look like? And he was at half hit hit points, and I was like— well, yeah, but he's he's big. Right. And so I ran across the street towards where I knew Rob was to see if he was okay. And that's when Nico was like, "Are you kidding me? I'm going to I'm going to die out <laughs> I'm here." Die. This- so so what what happened if you noticed that there were 10 thugs on each side of the street and then I had the other 10 thugs just didn't do anything that first turn because I'm like, "Oh, I don't want to kill them this first battle, you know, I I didn't properly execute." There it. was so- a point where you also said, "Okay, they're starting to back away and just like well, there, right I, I brought out the giant Ken or the ogre, basically, which was supposed to be the mano a mano fight between Grexel and the ogre. That was going to be the big, the big scene. And once Grexel killed the ogre, which he did in basically two hits, all the other guys were like, "Fuck this, we're out of here." I mean, you know, again, you have your giant gets killed, your your life expectancy goes down. And I fe- and I felt like I contributed to that, and I felt like. Yeah, you hamstring the giant from behind. And- but to me, there's this movie in my head where I grab the shopkeeper, run out the back, throw him down, or run around. I run up to the giant that I'm coming up to from behind. I kind of jump up, put my dagger in his leg, and let my weight kind of drag the dagger down through his leg, just try and flay his leg open. And then when I see that I hurt him really bad, and I see that Drexel's probably going to kill him, he's okay, he can probably take him down, then I take off across the street. Every everything there's no stopping like I don't have any breaks in the movie in my head of when other people were taking turns does that make sense yeah one of the other things I wanted to just talk about and this again is just if you're going to do theater of the mind I don't know the the right way to do it but there were some discre- discrepancies between 
what you could do on one turn versus what you could do on the other, particularly where movement was involved. And in particular, yeah. we, we talked about that specifically after the, the game, that in that scene, you at one at one point were able to leave that battle after you had hit the giant in the, in the leg, you uh, hamstringed him. You then ran across the street into the other shop and all the way to the back of the shop where, on one turn. Where I got to a stairwell... I looked up the stairs and I saw that there was guys up there. Right. So I knew that on my next turn I was going to go after him. Right. So on the beginning of your next turn, there was a there was a thug that was already wounded because Omi's character had basically done the same thing. He'd hamstrung him and then ran away and he was leaned against the wall and he was all panting, which I guess if you've already listened to this, I don't need to describe it again. So you killed that guy and then you started going up the steps and I said you could only get like partially partially way up or all the way to the top and you were like what, what do you mean? Like you kind of felt like you should well, have been able to do. Well, not in game. I think in game I probably just did a like a, just kind of a confused look, and then I didn't want to break the flow, and I didn't. It's kind of like I had this moment where, um, what's the word? Um, I didn't want to question the credibility of the DM because the encounter was going so well, and I was having so much fun that I didn't. It wasn't want, worth it. Yeah, right. it wasn't worth it to to break. The and, and question and start kind of like a wait a minute wait a minute you last this <laughs> right. isn't fair I went three hundred feet a minute ago I was having so much fun that it wasn't so, worth it to take and it. I think that's where again if you're going to do theater of the mind even though we talked about how less description can in some some ways be better because it allows you to fill in I think in those types of events you need to be more specific of what you're what you're seeing because the reason I did that is in my mind. You you backstabbed the thug and killed him, and that was part of your your turn. So you were making your own movie in your head. yes, I was, and I saw you as just being very methodical. Like I, in my head, I saw you just sort of disregard the body, step over it like it wasn't there, and just slowly climbing the stairs like I'm going to kill these fuckers. So you in were your thinking head, it... you were probably thinking you were rushing up the stairs to get to the top. So I saw you as purposefully moving slowly. And plus, you're going upstairs, which again, difficult terrain. I was kind of thinking, well, you can't go upstairs as quickly as you can go across the street. So it wasn't like I was penalizing you, but in my head, that made the most sense. I can see exactly what you're doing. In your head, you were thinking of my turns in seconds and in time. And you were thinking, okay, if a turn is six seconds, in six seconds, if you're running at full speed, you can run across the street, go through the door, run to the back. And then in the next turn, if it's only six seconds, if you're creeping up the stairs like you're trying to sneak up behind this guy, it might take you six seconds to get halfway up the stairs. Right. So I can see – so it, there's no uh, – there's no, it's hard to say what's, uh, where's, what's, the, what's the right or wrong. I think I just could have maybe asked you some questions instead of in my head assuming that you were – creeping and being methodical so I if i would have are you trying to get to the top of the stairs are you going to run and then again it could have been a man, mechanical penalty okay well if you run to the top you know you're going to have your negatives to be attacked if if they're up there waiting on you that type of thing or you could say okay if you run to the top you're going to be making a bunch of noise and he's going to know you're coming he's going to see you come and turn around you're not going to get a sneak attack you're right. not going to so I probably could have just done a little bit more question and answering to make sure that I was clear on what you were trying to accomplish. I don't think that took away from the game. Not at all. But I just think that if we can, because we've kind of talked about doing theater of the mind from now on, even in our 3-5 game, if we're going to do a lot of it, then we need to work out these kinks now so that at some point in time it doesn't like cause a character's death. You're like, no, you said, you know, I, two minutes ago I did this and now I fall off the edge into the lava. I, I just want to make sure that 
we've worked out those kinks before we try to switch a three, five game to a theater of the mind battle. But I'm actually really excited about trying it just to see how it works out. Cause I thought it worked. Cause, cause what I wanted to talk about is I think that doing the theater of the mind combat and doing it early helped keep the immersion through the rest of the game. Because like you said earlier, like when you go into a combat, normally you're looking at your character sheet and you're looking at your spells and you're looking at your tactics I think that translates over when you're out of combat and now I'm asking about role playing or skill challenges. You do the same thing. Like you look at your skill sheet and you go up and down and you go, Oh, well my highest skill is diplomacy. So I want to try to diplomatize or with this person rather than just what your character would do. So I think kind of getting away from mechanical decisions in combat also helped you guys stay in more of a role play focus for the whole rest of the game. Okay. I want to say two points help me, not forget them the first one i want to say i talk about is um transitioning from combat when combat's over back to role playing and the second one is going to be um judging distance on the board and spell and spell mechanics and stuff like that so in regards to the theater of the mind um and when combat is over i feel like there's still no break in the story like, I feel like when combat is over, <clears throat> in 3.5 in our game, it feels like there's such a break. There's a clear distinction. We are out of combat. Yeah, and it's I'm like... I'm whopping the board, we're moving the minis, we're back and, to role And it, I, th- I feel like it takes longer to get back into role-playing, back into character, back into what we're doing next, because our heads... We're not, we're not really role-playing through combat. We're rolling dice and picking spells and looking at statistics and then when and yeah there's such a distinction between we're done role playing now we're starting combat now we're done with combat now let's get back into role playing and it takes time to pick it back up and get the momentum going again afterwards so with theater of the mind i felt like when combat was over it was just such an easy transition to pick up exactly what we're doing after like the guys ran, there's dead bodies, and you're like, okay, now what are you gonna do? Because the, the police, basically, mm-hmm. the police force were called. I, you guys had to run away. I had to. I was like, all right, I grab him, I go get him. Okay, we're gonna run, and then so we run away, and then you and then you start telling, okay, this is what's going on. There wasn't any break. There wasn't any uh, pause or transition to go, you know, from one to the other. So it just seems like. That that's just another way of speeding things up. It keeps the momentum going. It it just makes the whole storytelling experience richer. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, I think talking about speeding things up or slowing things down is, uh, I just had this uh, thing pop into my head where I always, when we're doing combat on your tabletop in your basement, when we're doing our three point five game. I always say, how far away is he? What's your effective range? And we're always counting squares and um, making decisions based off of, you know, things like that. Like, and it slows, it slows the game down because we're judging, we're counting squares, counting feet, counting range, looking at all this stuff. Whereas in theater of the mind, all I really have to say is, I want to get as close to this guy as I can, or can I get across the street? Can I get to this door that I see? And can I attack this guy? 
And all you have to say is yes or no. And I, based on, I mean, we all trust you as a DM, you know, so we're not going to question you. So the momentum just keeps going. So this brings up a great question. I just want to interrupt quickly. If you were playing a wizard or a sorcerer or a dusk blade where you did have spells that had ranges, do you think you would be able to keep that theater of the mind? Because one of the things you didn't have to reference a spell book. You never had to look at your spell and go, okay, I'm going to cast magic missile or web or firebolt. And you never had to look at a spell book. So even in theater of the mind, you're still going to have to do that at some point and go, okay, my range is 50. So do you think playing a sorcerer character, wizard character would take away from that? Basically, was it the fact that you were playing a thief is why it worked so well? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you have a good point. I didn't, have to but you know rob was playing a rogue and he was across the street and he was using a ranged weapon did he ever stop and ask you how many feet away it was did he ask you how far what the distance was across the street was no i mean he just had the picture in his head in his head it was close enough so he he didn't ask you if he could do it he just started to say if 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 you would have left out the fact that that it's a really far away away then like when he said i want to shoot the arrow and you're like well that's 700 yards you yeah. can't do that that would have been a little awkward but the fact that i mean he never thought to ask he just in his head he had the scene and he just felt like he could do it so he just started saying this is what i do the other thing i thought rob did really well because i gave you guys background characters one of his traits the type of rogue he was is that he had what's called city savvy which is he basically understands the city layouts and the alleyways. He did great with that. Exactly. And that's because he never asked me one time, like, can I do that? He would just mm-hmm. say, I know how to get there. And, I got it covered. You know, and that's like. And I thought that was awesome. I thought he did a fantastic job with that. This doesn't have to do with the D&D next. This just has to do with me. But he did such a better job with that than I would have. And when I was, when it was over, I was so glad or happy with how good of a job they did role playing. And I didn't feel like I lived up to what they were giving out. So in a, in a bad way, I felt like I didn't contribute enough. In a good way, it made me want to work harder and get better at role-playing so that I'm contributing as much as they are. Well, I think one thing to consider there, and you can take it as a criticism if you want, but you have kind of a, a personality where you're kind of reserved. You know, you don't really always get too agitated or, or too excited. So I specifically, when I was I creating the characters, I, I created Zane for you. And in my head, I saw him as a very professional, you know, doesn't get too upset. You know, if he's sitting there and the guy beside him gets his head blown off, he's sort of a, that sucks. And, you know, so I kind of created a character. Did you I, think I played it that way? So it I was thought, just me? Yeah, I thought you played a good game. <laughs> because but I my, didn't have to role play. Because in my head, you were playing a, a hitman professional, you know, mobster so that are, just doesn't get upset about so stuff. you're saying you see me as like a, a cool hitman mobster professional more than a crazy bard telling jokes in the tavern yes here's what rob was doing with his role playing was he was he just i would say i got the hang of i got the hang of what rob's character was capable of doing and that he just knew the all the ins and outs of the city so eventually I would start saying, all right, uh, Omi, I want to get up to this uh, church tower and I want to sneak there and I want to 
do Overwatch tonight, and I want to see if I see anything weird in the town. Can you get me there? Can you, do you have a way of getting me there without being seen? And instead of, which this is what I think I would have done, I would have looked at you. My eyes would have gone to you, the DM, and I would have said, do I? Because I would have been asking you if I have that knowledge. Rob never did that. Rob looked straight across the table at me. He didn't break character. He didn't go out of game and look at the DM. He looked across the table at me. A couple, there was, I mean, there was was one time this might've happened a half a dozen times. And there was one time where he, his eyes like went to the side of his head where he was looking at you a few times to see. Well, well, there were two that I can remember the very first time that that came up and I kind of had to explain, no, you, you know, the city, you can do this. And pretty much from then on, he ran with it. And then the very last time when he was trying to get into the Royal Palace, and I'm like, no, you don't have a way to get into the Royal Palace because that would be beyond your expertise. But that was it. Otherwise, every time he's like, I got it. I can get you there. I yeah, know and, the way. And, and his, I love that. In his head, he was probably like, well, if I overstep my boundary, Michael will say so. Sure. I, he just he just did such a good job with that. And then there was also another time when I was like, can you do you know any buddy who can get me information on this particular subject? And he was like, yeah, I know some people. And he started creating like, yeah, I've got some drug. I know some druggies, some drug dealers. I got some police. And he was you know, saying all this stuff. Right. You guys had confiscated some drugs. You, I should say you liberated some drugs that were supposed to be delivered to your boss. And he was like, oh, I can use these as payment to these cops that I know that are also druggies. Uh, well, actually, what he ended up doing was more of a training day is he's like, I know some drug dealers that I can give to the cops in return, in return for, for some a information. Favor. Right. From Which was cops. awesome. Yeah. So anyways, enough of kissing Rob's ass. I don't yeah. want to do that anymore. No. Um, because yeah, he did, he he did an outstanding job. But anyways, the point of this is the D is D and D next, but well, I think, well, the point of it is, do you think that the game, whether it's the way I ran it or the systems or whatever, did it contribute to him? Cause that's not how he's role played his other characters. He he's never got that well into character any other time we played. Well, it's hard to sit here and say no, because if I was going to say, if I was going to say no, I need to give you a reason why, like, why hasn't he been that immersed and that uh creative with the character in any of the other sessions and any of the other games you know why hasn't it been there and i can't i don't know of any reason i mean the reason to me the reason is just because the the mechanic of the way D next is being so simple it just allows for such an immersive storytelling experience um it, there's less numbers crunching. There's less worrying about, um, me, uh, what's the right word? Like me, me, not mechanics, but there's less worrying about the character sheets and the stats and the spells and the things like that. That I mean, we were we were telling, we weren't simulating combat. We were role playing combat. We were, you know, we weren't moving combat pieces around and rolling dice to simulate combat we were telling a combat story um and that's it's just for me maybe there's people out there that don't yeah i don't know why they wouldn't want that experience because to me it's better but maybe there's people out there that wouldn't like that experience so much you know maybe they get more of an enjoyment out of um, having all these options 
and all these skills and all these spells and all these magical weapons and all these things that they have listed on their character sheet. And maybe, maybe to them that feels like they have options. Like they have all these things they can do. Maybe if you put them in our environment, they wouldn't know what to do. Right. And that's part of D and D is you have to find a group that fits your play style and, and a DM that runs the type of game you want to be in and that kind of thing. But I think that our group, it fits perfect. I think that our group is going to have a lot of fun with D&D next. I think so as well. Um, and then I kind of interrupted you. So did, did you have enough conversation about the mechanics? Because you said you had two topics you wanted to cover. One was transition, which we covered. But- and then I went into the thing where, you know, with 3.5, we're always asking about how many squares, how gotcha. many feet, okay. what's the range. And that mechanic, it's that's not really a mechanic, but just the fact that we're doing everything on the tabletop and we're always asking about feet, you're counting squares. You're, you know, when it, you this happens like every turn, somebody will grab their token or their little character. And count, and then count backwards? Yeah, they'll move and they'll be they'll look, they'll judge. It's like ch- playing chess. chess. They'll move the pawn forward, then they'll look, and they'll be like, oh, no, that, that queen over there can get me. So they'll move it back, then they'll grab another piece. It That takes a lot of time because you go around the whole table, and everybody's grabbing their piece. They're moving it here. And they're like, well, if I get there, then I can't get flanking, but I won't be able to use my standard action. So they go back, so right. then they see what it, so then they might move to this other place. And that's what I've said time and time again, and I don't mean it as a cr- critique, but combat in D&D 4th Edition is a tactical miniatures game. And in that regard, by itself, I think it's a lot of fun. Like I, I could, I could absolutely have fun if someone said, Hey, do you want to put together a, just a crazy combat and let's play D and D fourth edition. And I would have fun with that. You know, using this power and working together and having these synergies, but I don't consider that a role playing game. Well, I didn't ever get your point until last night because I always said before, I, I always said, I don't understand where the distinction is drawn, why people think that 4th edition isn't such a role-playing game and it's more of a combat miniatures game. Because to me, I was like, well, it's on the DM. if you tell, It's up to him to immerse you in the story. But your take, like I, the best way that I can explain why I feel like it's not now, after the playtest, is that our role-playing and storytelling never stopped through combat our combat was still storytelling right the it was we part of this the first part of the story was getting the people together learning the information planning the attack but then combat just happened in the same flow right afterwards um the movie just kept going into combat and out of combat okay so is there anything else left out because i wanted to cover dnd next pretty much inclusively so that way we kind of could drop that for a while until maybe more rules come out or we do another play test. Was there anything else about the game last night or the rule set we just want to cover before we move on? Well, how did you, there was one thing and how did you feel being the, I've talked about how I felt, how, what my feelings were and whether I got enjoyment or, you know, about what was going on, but how did you, if you were going to, if you're, I was, t- I'm talking to players. If you were going to talk to DMs who are going to run D and D next, what's your feelings about running? You're still kind of in charge. I mean, you're in charge of combat. What's your thoughts about running the combat without using the table? So 
you don't have the grid, you don't have the miniatures. Is it was it a little bit harder to keep track of where everybody was and what things were going on in your mind without having the tabletop reference, or was it easier? Or? You know, it, actually, it wasn't difficult. Uh, much like you, I had kind of a movie playing in my head, and I saw the three thugs going after Elmi. I saw the the first batch of thugs that Grexel was just mowing down. I, I think I used the reference like Sauron and the elves twice because that's what I saw was him mm-hmm. taking that big tree trunk and just swinging it and people going flying in different directions. <clears throat> but, again, I put too many bad guys in that first combat, so I had ten of them that just didn't do anything for one turn. And then once the ogre died, I had them all run away because I didn't set up a balanced encounter. It, it, I probably should have been probably should have been like 12 thugs, maybe six and six. And I think that would have, I wouldn't have had to have cheated that way and just had some of them not do anything because I didn't want to kill you guys. So understanding the characters, what they can do, understanding the bad guys that you're using so that you can do a good balanced encounter that you don't have to try to cheat for against the players is very, very important. Uh, try to be cinematic. And the game that I created for you guys last night, it had a lot of cinematic elements in it. I think that helped. It was a crime novel. It wasn't or a crime movie. I, I think we all have seen Looper recently, and there were a lot of things that I was doing that I felt was Looper-ish. And I think the fact that that movie was fresh in some of our pe- people's minds that it kind of helped because you you had these all these visual references. But maybe someone like Rob, who's probably never watched a fantasy movie, maybe Lord of the Rings. I don't know if he's seen it or not. Probably doesn't read a lot of fantasy novels. I probably need to do a better job of describing the mundane setting so that he can see it in his head. Otherwise the stuff that he's not familiar with, I don't think he'll be able to catch on as much. You were in a city. It was basically like in New York. You guys were kind of crime mobsters. That's such a familiar uh, thing for people. Like you've seen movies or you've read books that I think it was easier for people to immerse themselves and, and play a role because it was familiar versus his ranger, which that's my reason why I think he did a better job last night is that he's got more familiarity with like a mobster mentality from a movie than he does playing a half elf ranger. Well, I don't, I don't know if you have to worry so much about painting the exact picture that you want it to be into everybody's head because you're describing that the city that we were setting in is kind of like New York, like is New York a long time ago, like gangs of New York, right? Gangs, gangs of New York type Uh, of thing. See, I pictured it as like a, suburb or town uh from like in europe in world war ii where there's lots of small buildings and then one large tower like church you know tower and lot and then lots of small buildings around that like you know when in france or something like that i I don't know why i don't know why that's the picture (laughs) i had in my head but that's but the fact that you had a picture and i had a picture that were totally different never mattered never mattered yeah and and i you know, I have my own movie that I made, and you know that's what I liked about it. And Rob probably, if you ask where, if you ask Rob to to pick something that would most closely describe the setting that he had in his head, it'd probably be something totally different, different than what you or I had. The other thing that I would comment on, and sort of jokingly about the DM side, is we play, we played a Saturday game, which pretty much since we started playing D anD D, we've talked about playing a Saturday game. But the fact that you know we're married, I, I have kids. It's difficult to get a Saturday where I can play. And, and it happened that I could this time because my wife went out of town with the kids. So 
in addition to being able to play Saturday, that meant that I had all day Friday by myself. I did a whole lot more prep work for Saturday's game than I ever do for the other games. I think I could tell. I was prepared. So just about anything that you guys said or did, I already had an answer to, or I had some very colorful and well-fleshed-out NPCs. Like, one of my favorite parts of last night was your interaction with Graydon, who was your your next-level-up boss. Mm -hmm. And every morning you came down from your room, he always gave you a beer, he sat down beside you and ate some food, and he would talk about what you wanted to do for the day. And as the game went on, this happened three or four or five times. And near the end, when you started doing some weird stuff, like you had stolen some drugs from a shipment, you were supposed to get him, and he kind of asked you some questions about it. But kind of like that Inglorious Bastards, like you kind of think that he already knew, but he didn't call you out on it. But he still handed you the beer. He still sat down at the table. He still ate. And I, just the fact that sort of familiarity over and over again, I thought it helped build that movie in my head. So, so did I. Because like the fir- when you said, okay, you, you set up the first meeting with Graydon, there was a slow start there. The, by the last meeting, it was just like I walk in, you make eye contact. Like we didn't even really. You you were like he looks at you like this, and you gave me a face, and then I said, well, I look at him like this, and I gave you a face. We were like communicating with each other like we had known it, like this would been happened many times. I didn't, ha- you know, we didn't have to ask any questions like what's going on. Like I knew what was going on. It it felt like this has been happening a lot. Yeah. Right. And that was kind of the goal. And because I had had time to prepare, like I saw that happening in my head beforehand. So the fact that I basically was able to take Friday night and then also Saturday you had to work. So I got up Saturday like 9 o'clock. We started playing around 2.30. That's all I did Saturday. I I had note cards. I had a different color note card for the encounters. I had a different color note card for the NPCs. I had a different color note card for locations. I had three different taverns that I had created. I had the, you know, and the thing is, I wish I could do that more often. I've, I've said that before. Like most of my D&D prep time right now is driving because part of my job is I drive quite a lot. So I'm always in my head thinking, okay, well, that's cool. That'll be cool. That'll be cool. That'll be cool. But I don't always have a chance to write it down. And I remember most of it, but but you lose some of that detail that makes it really pop. So the, being able to just sit down and type out stuff and write note cards I just think that was one of the also biggest contributing factors to being so good. Also, the fact that we played for so long, though, it, it just, I just felt like every minute that passed, we were more immersed in what was going on. We were more the characters. We were breaking character less. We, <clears throat> it was, that was just a new experience for me. You know, we were, we were sitting around the table talking Always having, characters. always having conversations in first person, as who we were, you know. And then we don't, we don't do it like that in the other <laughs> game. So I, I felt like a big part of that was because we were able to play so long. The longer it went, the deeper we got into the story, the deeper we got into the characters. And, and I would agree with that. And I think I mentioned that even last night in the recap session that our normal games are three to four hours, and by the time everybody gets there, and we unpack our stuff, and we usually eat or order food. It seems like right about the time that we're really getting into the game where I'm already, at least as a DM, I'm already figured out, okay, I've got so much time left. How do I get us to an interesting standpoint or do I have time for a battle? How do I get to a cliffhanger? So it's almost like the whole time we're playing, I'm more focused on getting to a, a good stopping point rather than really focusing on what we're doing. Another, 
another weird thing about that is that like it takes a while to get into the game but then i'm like last night i was never worried about what time it was and if we had enough time left whereas at your house it might be eight or nine o'clock and i'm wondering how much time we have left so i look at my phone and then i see that we only have an hour left and i start to come out of the game already like i just got into the game and i'm like oh man we only have an hour left this sucks right. we never have enough time and i'm already pulling myself like out of the immersion because i'm worried about you know right. i'm not going to get to do what i want to do and it's going to end too quickly yeah, and, and, and that's something maybe we should look at as a group and just say like you know we everybody needs to eat before they get there that way we kind of cut out that ritual. And for me, d and is still a social game, so I'm not saying, like, I don't want it to be, like, militaristic, like, oh, we, you know, we cannot eat at the table. But for the sake of the game, it probably would be better if we sat down at 6.30, we were playing by 6.35, you know, and around 10 o'clock we start wrapping up. I think it would help. So yeah, is- but it's hard because you're dealing with you're dealing with people that just got off work. They're, you know, they just had a long work day. Maybe, you know for you or Nico or Rob, you know, you haven't even unwound after work yet. We might be the first people that you've really talked to, or you might be talking, you might want to like get something off your chest or talk about something that happened at work or something that funny that happened that day. Right. And so when we sit down at the table, there's for a while, there's sort of a, like getting rid of what happened earlier that day and slowly going into the game. Right. And again, I'm not saying we necessarily need to do that. It's just something to consider. Uh, obviously, I do like the Saturday games. I think we should move to once a year. <laughs> 24 for straight a week, hours. For a week, we'll stay in a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> we can rent a cabin. Do a vacation. Yeah. A D&D vacation. Well, just kind of off topic, uh, you know, again, I follow some of the Twitter feeds and blogs and stuff. And there's a, I can't remember his name right now. And I apologize. He's one of the uh, Wizards of the Coast guys. And they have Gen Con every year in Indiana and they did this was the second year in a row that the there's several of them that were traveling from Seattle which is where Wizards of the Coast is is at to Gen Con and they took like an Amtrak train so it takes like three days 24 hours a day and all they did was play games the whole time I did that actually I didn't play D&D but I I took an Amtrak from Seattle to New Jersey and it took three days for three days I was sitting on a train and it was awesome I mean, it, if we, if I, it would have been even cooler if we would have played D and D. And they don't necessarily like play D and D the whole time, but they're playing role playing games, they're playing uh, <clears throat> board games, they're mm-hmm. talking, you know, because these are all very creative people. They all play different role playing games, but basically, it's like a seventy two hour D and D holiday, and I'm like, that would be pretty freaking awesome to do sometime. Yeah, uh, I don't know that it would work out for our our situation, but anyway. Um, I think I'm kind of done with D&D next for the moment. I'm still very excited. I'm loving what they're doing. Can't wait for the next iteration of the play test materials. If they can get a, a monk, a ranger, and a dusk blade, then we would just take our regular game over to D&D next. And even said that, I, I still had to make up some stuff for your character, and I had to make up a lot of stuff for Nico's character. So I'm getting more comfortable with the idea of just creating our own version of some of those character classes just to make it work, and we can always adjust them as it comes out. So I may I probably don't have time to do that for this week, but I may look at doing that before we, we play again after this week. So, all right, anything else? All right, well, guys, thanks for listening. You know, we said it jokingly before, but if you are listening to the podcast, if you like it, please leave us some feedback and let us know what you like, what we could do better. 
I absolutely would love to do like a mailbag episode where all we do is answer emails or questions that you guys have. But until we have emails, we're just really confused. <laughs> just please like end our just end our confusion because our statistics don't, don't match our actual feedback or what, what, we, what we're getting. Yeah. So we would love for you guys to leave us some feedback. Uh, you can email us. Both Evan and I have emails at uh, Michael at dndacademy.com or Evan at dndacademy.com. We are still looking for submissions for hosting games that we've kind of got away from that because we haven't had any traction. But if there's a game that you've written, an adventure, I mean, or an encounter or a character build that you would like for us to host on our website, we will do so for free. You just got to send it to us. That email is submissions at dnd, excuse me, dndacademy.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter and on Facebook. So if you would like to give us some kind of feedback through there, and of course, iTunes, uh, a lot of it seems like from our statistics that a lot of our downloads are going through iTunes. So if you are listening to us there, we'd also like appreciate some feedback and ratings. So uh, I'll quit begging. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. See you next time.